All right, Revelation, we're going to finish chapter 11. Last week we saw the end of the ministry of the two witnesses, and then they're caught up. God says, come up here. So Elijah and Moses, we believe, are those two witnesses. They, that's who they will be. And they finish their three-and-a-half-year ministry. They're caught up back into heaven. And we pick it up there in verse 14. Let's read verses 14 through 19. The second woe, remember there's three woes. This message is called Woe Nelly. <laughs> the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. This is the seventh trumpet. We're at the end of the trumpet judgments now. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to bless this time in your word. Give us insight and understanding. Lord, we thank you for the honor and the privilege of being end times believers, living in the last days. And we pray that you continue to train and equip us and prepare us for whatever may lie ahead between now and the time that you call us up to meet you in the air. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the second woe is past. One more woe before the coming of the bold judgments, which begin in chapter 16. It says the third woe is coming quickly. So we're entering in now the second half of the tribulation and we see that God's timetable is accelerating. In fact, Jesus said if the days were not shortened, even the elect would not be saved. But what are these three woes? The first woe was revealed to us after the fifth trumpet judgment. And this involved something like locusts that have the ability to sting like a scorpion. Remember? Revelation 9.3, we talked about the different possibilities of what that could be, but definitely demonic in origin. The second woe is revealed after the sixth trumpet, and this woe begins when a voice commands from heaven, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and that was Revelation 9.14. We know that there are fallen angels or demonic entities that are free to roam around the planet wreaking havoc. But why were these particular ones bound? And we talked about Genesis 6, the fallen angels who came and uh, cohabitated with human women and the result of the Nephilim, the giants, all that stuff. So at this point, this second woe, these really gnarly angels, fallen angels, are released increasing the outpouring of just horrific things upon the planet. Now, the third woe is revealed after the seventh trumpet judgment. This woe is parallel to the trumpet that sounds in Joel chapter 2 and signals the consummation of God's plan for the entire world. So we're seeing here in this final part of chapter 11, even though there's a little ways to go, with God, everything's right now, right? 
He operates outside the realm of time and space. So with God, there's no yesterday, today, or tomorrow. It's just all now. But we see the signaling of the consummation of God's plan for the world. This third woe marks the finishing of God's judgments on sin. It occupies the book of Revelation all the way up to chapter 19 in the second coming when Christ's kingdom is established on the earth. So incorporated with this third and final woe are the seven bowls of God's wrath. All of those bowl judgments are within this third woe described in Revelation 16, 1 through 21. And this series of judgments is the greatest horror the citizens of earth have ever seen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. And that is the devil's goal. We've talked about that. I mean, yeah, in the short term, his goal would be to shut down all the churches, divide and conquer. What did Jesus say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. We know in guerrilla warfare, the, the way they do it is they, they start at the back of the, of the force as they're marching, and they pick off the weakest members, right? And yeah, in the short term, the enemy's goal is to close the churches. His long-term goal is he wants to destroy humanity. Yeah. He's been working on that since day one. And we see, again, things in, in play right now moving towards that goal. In fact, I just read an article where there is some people who think, I don't know if this is real inside knowledge or speculation, that China's already working on some more viruses. We've talked about the Georgia Guidestones. The goal of the global elite, you could call them the Illuminati if you want or whatever, they want to reduce the Earth's population to 500 million. Right now we're at 7.5 billion. That means most of us ain't going to be here if they get their way. But it's ultimately not them. It's Satan working through human instruments. But his desire is to... Look what he did at the time of Moses. The enemy working through Pharaoh. They killed all the boy babies, remember? But God preserved Moses. Same thing at the time of Jesus. Herod. Remember all the boy babies three and under? He had them killed. Except God protected Jesus. But this has been the battle from the beginning of time. And Jesus said, if the days had not been cut short. Now, from what we know in the scriptures, the seven-year tribulation is the seven-year tribulation. So when you talk about him cutting it short, I mean, God could justify a lot longer period of pouring out his wrath on the planet than just seven years, right? So it's his grace. And as we've talked about before, even in the midst of this outpouring of wrath, and all these judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, and so forth, God's grace is still in operation. People are still having opportunity to receive Christ and to be saved. More than likely, it will cost them their lives, but better to die here and live forever, right, than survive here and die forever. So in some sense, as we move into the second half of the tribulation, God's timetable is accelerating, and I think that would mean in terms of just like a woman in labor, Jesus said it will be like a woman in labor leading up to his return. The pains get closer to, together, closer and closer together, and they get more and more painful. I remember my wife with, uh, with our first child. Of course, it was her 
first experience in giving birth. And um, she was having contractions and so forth. And she was standing, I think it was... I think it was upstairs. We had a house with an upstairs standing by the railing there. And I said, are you okay? And she says, yeah, I'm fine. And the next thing I know, she half collapses and grabs onto the rail and she's gritting her teeth, you know, because of the pain of the labor. So that's what we see this intensification in the second half. And it's called in the Bible, the second half of the tribulation is called the Great Tribulation. So we have the seventh angel sounding here in verse 15. This means the third woe is coming momentarily and it's an extended one, as we've talked about, going all the way up through till chapter 19. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And so, again, even though there's some time left here to play out the second half of the tribulation, from God's perspective, it's a done deal. When God says it, it's done, Right? The end is near enough now that the announcement can be officially made. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. And this is why Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All earthly kingdoms, empires, governments, uh, many have come and gone over the last several thousand years. Some are in the process of going downhill. But his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Uh, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, there's a prophecy about this. Verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. The kings that Daniel is talking about here, the prophecy has to do with the last days, the one world government of the last days. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, because there will be, according to scriptures and according to... Uh, some in the uh, European Union and so forth, they've already plotted out and planned out a one-world government that will have ten regions. How many of you have heard about this already? Ten regions. So yes, there will be a one-world leader, an antichrist, the beast, but then he will have ten others under him over these ten regions of the planet. And it's talking about these kings. God will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will pass, Nebuchadnezzar. So what the prophecy is, Daniel's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar's empire, which will give way to several other empires, and in the last days, Jesus, the rock, is going to roll into town, if you will, and crush every other kingdom and establish his eternal kingdom. And that's what it's referring to here in Revelation 11. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. All earthly kingdoms will now be forfeited, and Jesus will become the ruler of this world and of the universe for all eternity. Verse 16, the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. So what happens as a result of this announcement, you can imagine, they begin to worship, to praise God. They break out in worship as they see God's plan entering its final stage. The 24 elders watching from heaven where we will also be, 
watching. I say I like to watch from the balcony. They break out in worship, saying, verse 17, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. And so this, is, of course, is Jesus. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I love it where Jesus is talking to the, uh, I believe it was the Pharisees, one of those groups, those religious groups. And um, he tells them, um, before Abraham was, I am. Now that's either got a serious grammar problem going on, or Jesus is sending a message. Even before Abraham existed, Jesus says, I, he didn't say I was. Jesus isn't the great I was. He's the great I am. And he was basically telling them, I am God. That, but that's what God told Moses to tell the people in Egypt, right? Remember? God, I don't know if they're going to listen to me. Who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Tell them I am sent you. And so this is Jesus here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 1.8, the very beginning of this study, we saw where he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So he's the only one who could possibly have a kingdom that goes on and on forever. He shall reign forever and ever. So that's the kind of guy you want to connect to, right? Who's got an eternal kingdom. All the kingdoms of this world will fall, and we're watching them disintegrate before our very eyes right now. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The elders are praising him for finally taking his rightful place as king of the world. That's one of the things that really confused people when Jesus came the first time. They expected this then. They expected the Messiah to come and establish his throne, the throne of David, and begin his rule right then and there. But he had other business to take care of first, didn't he? He had to take care of the issue of sin and become the king of hearts. But he is coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. First time he came, you know, the prince of peace, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, laying down his life. And where we read here, you've taken your great power and reigned. He can do that anytime he wants, you know that? You know, and he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it up again. And he did take it up again. He rose from the dead. And he is going to claim his rightful authority as the king of this world and the king of the universe. Verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come at the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Notice the reaction. And it's, it's really similar to what we're seeing right now. I, I thank God for the great reports coming from Dave and his team, and I know God is moving. But at the same time, we look around at the world situation, and you would expect a lot more people humbled and broken and repenting before God, wouldn't you? As in times past. Way back with 911, we saw a very short lived, very moderate kind of a pseudo revival. 
And here you would think with all that's happening in the midst of this tribulation, all the suffering, all the death, all the sorrow, all the pain. But what's the reaction of the nations? They're mad. They were angry. People who claim they don't even believe in God, when things don't go their way, they get mad at Him. How do you get mad at somebody you don't believe in? Right? They're angry when they should be repenting. And all that does is justify what God is doing. You see? Your wrath has come. Wrath for the wicked, but redemption for Israel. Again, we've talked about this so many times. The two primary goals of the tribulation. One, the wrath of God poured out on a wicked, unbelieving world. And two, the restoration of the people of Israel. Again, this is the, we're moving into the great tribulation at this point. Your wrath has come, not for the righteous. God's wrath is never for the righteous, folks. I've tried to, to teach that to you so many times. The distinction between God's chastisement, he chastises his children, he corrects us, but he never pours out his wrath on his people. We are not appointed. In fact, that's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The dead of the dead and the time of the dead that they should be judged. The righteous dead go immediately into God's presence. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? This day you will be with me where? Purgatory? No. <laughs> the waiting room? No. This day you will be with me in? Where is paradise? That's wherever God is. Right? But he meant literally in heaven, in the third heaven where God dwells. This day you will be with me. Paul said, I would prefer to be absent from my physical body, be present with the Lord. The, the moment a believer dies, he or she goes to paradise to be with God. Not so for the unbeliever. The unrighteous are confined to Hades, awaiting an unholy resurrection and judgment. There's no wrath or judgment for believers. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God did not appoint us to wrath. 1 Corinthians 11.31, Paul teaching about the Lord's Supper, about communion. He says, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. He's talking about self-examination. Don't just take communion flippantly, you know, lightheartedly. Think about it. Meditate on it. Let the Holy Spirit, what did David say in the Psalms? Search me, O God. Know my heart, right? Let the Holy Spirit search your heart, show you if there's things there you need to deal with before you partake of the body and the blood of the Lord. He says, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged but when we are judged, and again, he's not talking about that judgment that comes upon the unbelieving world. He's talking about God's judgment, his correction. We are chastened by the Lord, he says. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. So God is faithful. If we practice self-examination, that's really good. We should do that. But if we slip up, God will take care of it. It's kind of like we often say, don't pray for humility, whatever you do. But God's committed to humbling us, so you don't really have to pray for it anyway. He'll do it, <laughs> one way or the other. So believers are judged in that sense, chastised by God in this life. 
And here's the big difference. We are chastised in this life so that we will not be judged when Christ returns. Because that is a whole different ballgame. Unbelievers often seem to get away with stuff in this life, right? You have to be careful as a believer. You can get angry, bitter, irritated, offended. I don't get it. I try so hard to serve God, to please God, and all these things are always happening. And then look at this guy, man. He's the biggest pagan that ever came along, and everything seems great. So blessed, right? But we, when we say that, what we're really talking about are not the blessings of the kingdom of God. They're temporal blessings, you know, money, right? Power, fame, big, nice cars and houses and so forth. That stuff is garbage to God. That means nothing. God's concerned about the eternal rewards. And we should be too. So unbelievers often seem to get away with stuff in this life, but they will be judged by Jesus at the end of the tribulation and cast into hell. It's not popular to say that today. That's on the list of no-nos. Uh, you don't talk about hell. You don't talk about the cross, the blood of Christ, any of that stuff, right? That's all just too ugh, disturbing. But that's what the whole ball game. That's what it's all about. So he's saying here, the time that you should reward your servants, the prophets and saints, both the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament saints, will receive rewards when we return with Christ to rule and reign for a thousand years. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and us too, by the way, and then he will reward each according to his works. Again, we are not saved by works, right? Never could be. In order to be saved by works, you'd have to be perfect. Anybody here fit that bill? But he's talking about the things we do for God here on earth. We could be doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. you realize that? It's the attitude of the heart. It's the motivation. And for those works that are genuinely pure in God's sight, there will be rewards. He will reward each according to his works. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. Remember the prodigal son? What was the big problem there? Well, he didn't want to wait for his dad to die so he could get his rewards, right? His inheritance. He demanded that he wanted it now. The father lovingly gave it to him. He went out and squandered the whole thing. There are a lot of believers that they want their rewards right now. It's that name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I demand it. I'm going to... God, it says right here in the Bible... It takes a lot of nerve to go before God and demand Him to do anything. You want to start demanding, I tell you this all the time, don't ever demand that God give you what you deserve. You won't like it. You won't like it. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. And again, we've talked about this before. Well, then where is He? It's been 2,000 years. This is at the end of the book of Revelation after we've gone through this whole process and what he's saying is that when that time finally comes, again, a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years, right? How long has Jesus been gone? A couple days. We are at the third day, if you look at it that way. What he's saying is when it all starts to happen, it's going to happen very quickly. And we see things accelerating even before our very eyes. We can see it in the technology and all the other things, the scientific world, 
an incredible acceleration. Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me. So for those who are demanding their rewards here and now, you got to wait till you see them face to face. That doesn't mean God doesn't bless us in this life. He does. But the big blessings, the real blessings, the eternal blessings, we will get when we see him. Can we have a little patience and wait for that? It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. 1 Corinthians 3.14, if anyone's work which he has built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, that's what the context is here in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone's work which he has built on it, that firm foundation of Jesus Christ, endures, if it stands the test, he will receive a reward. Again, this is not talking about salvation. Jesus paid for that. What it is talking about our works do not determine our salvation, but they do determine our rewards. Don't forget that, guys. Tenth hour project. Because I've seen it. Again, I rededicated my life to Christ when I was 17. I entered into a full-time music ministry at 18. And over that many years, like I said, I'm 39 now, so no. <laughs> no. It's been a long, long time. We're talking a long time talking 50, 50 years, but I saw people gradually get sucked into the everyday humdrum life. God gets on the back burner. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. And the enemy has a lot of strategies. You need to be on your guard, take your training very seriously, and continue on in the Word of God, and don't let the enemy sidetrack you. And those who fear your name, small and great. Folks, this is really important. The evidence, there's more, but one important aspect of the evidence that someone possesses a true saving faith in Christ is that they are in possession of the fear of the Lord. Look around. You're not going to find a lot of that today. The fear of the Lord, it means you're in awe of him. You respect him. It's a healthy fear, not a fear that he's going to send you to hell to burn for eternity, although if you don't acknowledge him, that's what's going to happen. But as a believer, you exhibit that fear by humility and obedience. If somebody says they fear the Lord, but they're not humble and they're not obedient, they're deceived. Those are marks of a true believer, humility and obedience to God. And so you'll reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And folks, this is not the New Green Deal. This is not a reference to environmentalism. You know, the reality is this. Those who destroy the earth... The earth is humanity. Those who are created in God's image. Yes, he's given us a beautiful world to live in. It's been defiled. It will be restored also. But how do people destroy the earth? In spite of what all the climate change folks will tell you, this earth is pretty darn resilient. Do you know this earth survived a worldwide flood? And these idiots think that we pu 
puny humans can destroy this world? We've been trying for 6,000 years. We haven't gotten there yet. Here's the deal. Those who destroy the earth by practicing evil. Abortion. We've talked about that this morning. You're destroying the earth. 60 million babies in America alone since Roe versus Wade. That's destroying the earth. Sexual perversion. Our brother shared about his childhood issue with pornography. That's destroying the earth. And yet they don't put any reins on that stuff, do they? And now it's all over the internet and people are making big bucks selling their bodies online. That's destroying the earth. That's destroying lives. That's pollution. You want to talk about pollution? New Green Deal. What a joke. If they would put their time, energy, and money into this stuff, we could clean this place up. Human trafficking, that's destroying the earth. Good friend of mine, some of you know him, Hugh Hauser over in uh, Arizona. Used to be in Colorado. He just, we talked last week. He was pretty discouraged about the outcome of the election and so forth and following all the different avenues and uh, ideas that people have about what might happen in the near future and so forth. Really discouraged, but then God really got a hold of his heart and put a burden on his heart. There's a group there that he got plugged into that's really zeroing in on trying to battle against human trafficking. And he was sharing some of the information. It's just overwhelming. It's unbelievable. It's so deep and so wide. And you ask yourself, how could somebody be that sick and that twisted to engage in that stuff? And that's why the wrath of God is coming. And that's why Jesus is coming. And again, you might get upset, you might get frustrated, and you say, I don't know what we can do. It's just more than we can even handle. And they seem to be getting away with it, but they're not. You should pray for them that they repent and they come to Christ because they will face him. You know, releasing biological agents is another way of destroying this earth, something we've all been going through for the past year. Slavery still, still exists in many parts of the world. While the there are many in our nation that want to punish us all for something that happened 150 years ago. They're not doing anything about the slavery that's going on right now all over this world. Pardon me for saying that, but it's true. On and on it goes. Creating and marketing harmful products purely for profit. Right? The companies who developed this stuff and put it out there knowing that it's harmful and they don't care they're doing it for one reason to make money that's destroying the earth and God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth okay verse 19 we're almost done then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings noises thunderings and earthquake and great hail what this sounds like here actually is that God is giving the people on the earth a glimpse a momentary glimpse of his throne room in heaven, a peek into dimensions that we can't normally see. Do you realize there's stuff all around us we can't see? Angels, for one. There are other dimensions upon the ability that God has given us to see at this point in time. 
Sometimes they pass through those dimensions and they appear. We see it throughout the scriptures. But apparently God is going to give the people of the earth a glimpse of his heavenly throne room. We see the Ark of the Covenant there. The earthly Ark was and is a copy of the one in heaven. The book of Hebrews talks all about that, the mercy seat and so forth. These things really exist in heaven, and when Moses was commanded to build the uh, temple, the temporary tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent, and all the elements therein were images of what is in heaven in God's throne room. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail, another powerful exhibition of God's power and authority. So I, as I mentioned, even in the midst of all this wrath and judgment, God's grace is still being manifested. He's showing people, look up here and see what you could have. And yet most of them will not receive it. The people who are alive on the earth during the tribulation will be absolutely without excuse when it comes to rejecting God. And I would say that even those who exist on the earth right now are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, God tells us that he has revealed himself through the creation. If we'll just take a look and see, he's there for all to see. Let's stand. Before we pray, I'm just going to ask, uh, let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. Encourage anyone watching on TV or here in person, if you've not made a profession of faith in Christ, if you've not invited Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, before him, repented, I encourage you to do that today. Knows when. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when that these things will happen. And we must be prepared. So I would encourage you to invite him into your life today to acknowledge him as the one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. But I want to ask if anyone has a prayer request this morning, you just raise your hand and we're going to pray for all of those, uh, whether it's for you or someone else that you know. Raise your hand and we will include you in that prayer. Father God, we lift up all those to you this morning. They've raised their hands. You know each one. You know their hearts. You know what's going on in their lives. We ask you to, to encourage them, strengthen them. For those seeking wisdom and guidance, you promised that you would give that to us if we would ask. Lord, for those who are struggling with discouragement, anxiety, depression, please lift that from them and fill them with your joy, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask for those seeking healing for physical afflictions. Lord, we know that you are the God who heals. You are the great physician. And we pray for healing for those seeking it. But Lord, we know, just like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Father, we don't always know or understand your perfect will. But we humbly ask for healing to come upon those struggling with various illnesses and afflictions. Lord, for those who are uh, struggling with relational issues, damaged, broken relationships, that you would bring healing, restoration, reconciliation. Lord, that there can be forgiveness where it's needed. Just bless each one here, Father. Provide those who are needing financial provision or assistance or a new job or whatever it might be, Lord. Struggling at a job, having a hard time with other co-workers and so forth, whatever it might be, just be with them. Bless them, Father. We thank you that you do hear our prayers, that you answer our prayers. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name.